My name's Angelo and welcome to We Want Picks. I'm going to break down the entire UFC Jacksonville fight card, giving you my picks, predictions, and bets. But before I do, let me give you 50 bucks. I know a couple of you took an absolute bath at UFC Vegas 75. So why don't you hop on over to wewantpicks.com slash bets, sign up with any one of our betting partners, and we will send you 50 bucks as a thank you. It's affiliate marketing. They're going to pay me. I'm going to slice off a piece of that, and I'm going to give it right back to you. Just go to wewantpicks.com slash bets, sign up with any one of our partners using our link, make a deposit, and I send you 50 bucks as a thank you. UFC Vegas 75 was a super, super sketchy card. I lost like 80 bucks. Jacob lost like $75 or something like that, so we're not up. Jacob's lock of the week, that fight was canceled. The prize picks did hit, though. The underdog did hit, though, and the safety parlay hit. Those odds were adjusted because of that no contest in the Argueta-Lawrence fight, but I, I, I don't know why I'm such a coward. I should have put money on Daniel Argueta. I picked him to win. I was shouting from the rooftops, this dude's going to win, and I just didn't have the nuts to pull the trigger on that bet. That would have definitely dragged me into the positive units, but the safety parlay is back on track. We had eight wins in a row. We missed last week, and now we are back you're up 8.2 units if the only thing you ever did was tail the safety parlay. And you may say, listen, we're six months into the year, eight units. It's just one bet, one single bet on one single parlay every single week. And you would be up 8.2 units on the year. And that is available to premium members at wewantpicks.com. And the premium members have been killing it. They've been absolutely killing it. We've been tallying these wins over the last... Five weeks at this point, $189,000 in winnings from premium members and even less than just premium premium members who took the time to tweet us, send the tickets and let us know that, hey, I won this. I'm a premium member. Thank you so much. Last night, Mitch took down another DraftKings tournament. He made $2,800. We had a Rainmakers win at $1,000 and that took our winnings all the way up to $189,000. And I say our because we are a community. Premium members at wewantpicks.com are the sharpest community in the game. You can join them. You can be a premium member at wewantpicks.com. It's only $10. Or you can share space with them. Join the Discord. Discord is 100% free. There is a link in the description. And our premium members not only get access to the safety parlay, the bets, the picks, and all that, they also have access to tools and information. The line movement tracker, for example. This week, for UFC Jacksonville, we have two fighters who went from underdog to favorite. Gabriel Santos opened at a plus 235. He is now a minus 230 favorite. And we have 12 fighters that have more than 20% movement on their line. Use the line movement tracker to spot trends, identify trends, hop off or hop on a particular fighter, all available at wewantpicks.com. You're also going to get detailed data metrics and analytics. We have a 38-column interactive spreadsheet that you can work your way through, work your way across, and find spots that make sense for you. This and everything else is only $10 a month. There's people charging $10 for each individual component. There's people charging $150 for a couple of bets. $10 for literally everything we do. We on picks.com. Just click become a member. Let's talk about this card. We have 14 fights on this card. Three of those fights came together in the last 48 hours or so. So let's go ahead and jump in. Opening up UFC Jacksonville, we have Zalgas Zumagulov taking on Josh Van. And here's the reality. Zalgas was supposed to fight last night at UFC Vegas 75. And before that, he was supposed to fight a few weeks ago. 
Ever since he got this new Bob haircut, people are cutting out on the guy. He can't catch a fight to save his life. Hopefully this one sticks together because if anybody needs a win, it's Zalgas because the dude's been getting screwed by the judges. He's a grinding style fighter. He's got solid power. He's got very good wrestling. His goal is always to throw big, huge punches, get you to react so he can work in a takedown. He's got really good pressure and he's always moving forward. But I mentioned the dude needs a win. He's one in four in his last five and he just keeps getting screwed by the judges. He's losing close decision after close decision. And in fact, I've mentioned this a few times, but this is just astonishing. In his loss to Charles Johnson, the fight ended. The third round was over or like almost over. The live odds for Zalgas to win that fight were minus 1,200. And he still lost the decision. He's taken on UFC newcomer Josh Van. This kid's only 21 years old. He is making his UFC debut and it's on short notice. Style-wise, he's a solid striker. He's got aggression, a bit of power. His takedown and scramble skills are actually solid, but he's likely going to struggle with takedown defense at the UFC level. He is this new generation of fighter, so even though we're calling him a striker, he's good everywhere. He can grapple as well. He does a nice job looking for things in scrambles and making his opponents work. And this is finally the break that Zalgas needed. He had a handful of bad decisions, close fights that went the wrong way. So much so that he even retired. I mentioned that minus 1,200 line at the end of that fight with Charles John. He literally retired. He's like, F this. I can't do this anymore. This is getting ridiculous. But he's back. And he got a little bit of a gift here. He should be able to bully Josh, get whatever takedowns he wants. Josh is going to be live because he's got that power, but I doubt it's going to be enough here. Zalgas' price is at minus 185. He is very expensive. And for a guy that's one and four in the UFC, in the last five, not even the UFC, in the last five, you may say, eh, I don't know if I'm going to spend that. But the reality is he should absolutely blow through this kid. That line is fine. He's probably going to balloon up even past that. I don't know if I'm going to do anything with it because that is a very juiced line for a guy that hasn't been putting together wins. But there should be a giant skill gap between these two guys. Then we got Trevor Peak. He also has a brand new opponent. He's taking on Chepe Mariscal, or Jose is his real name, but if you're doing your own research, start looking for Chepe. Trevor Peak is undefeated. He's a high-pressure fighter. He only knows one pace. He keeps his hands open, and he literally just starts winging punches while charging forward. If he's close to you, he's going to grab your legs. He's going to try to take you down. If he's at distance, he's going to move in all directions and try to work in. He's not very technical. Skill-wise, he's not clean at all, but his high-pressure, take-one-to-give-one style can break a lot of people. He's coming off that knockout win over Eric Gonzalez, where in only one round, he got taken down twice. But he also got two knockdowns and landed 51 significant strikes to Eric's eight. A wild couple of minutes to start that fight. He's taking on Jose Mariscal or Chepe Mariscal. And this guy is all the things. His resume is incredible. He's a BJJ champion, kickboxing champion, collegiate wrestler. And that resume screams grappler, but he's got some solid striking as well. He's willing to engage. He's got a couple of notable losses on his record, but to UFC standouts. He was out grappled by Bryce Mitchell. He was KO'd by Joe Anderson, Burrito, and Steve Garcia. He is a few years removed from those losses. He's put together a nice three-fight stoppage win streak to come into his UFC debut here. He is stepping up on short notice. And this is going to be an interesting fight. It is a 100% does not go the distance play. This fight is not going to go the distance. Trevor Peak is an animal who charges forward, pressures hard,
but he does get taken down. Chepe is a fantastic grappler who can duck under the chaos and get a takedown and then beat up Trevor. I'm going to pick Chepe to win here. He's got more experience, more actual skills. He could potentially out-technique the very wild peak. We've already seen the Chepe line cut from plus 170 to plus 155, and that's going to keep moving. I have a quarter of a unit on him at plus 155, but the safer bet here is going to be does not go the distance. And when those props drop, I'm, I'm, it's going to be juiced. Hopefully your book, book, your sports book lets you parlay that because that's that's going to be the guaranteed bet on this card. And I'm going to look so stupid when these two go to a decision. But anyway, this fight should absolutely not see the scorecards. We're going to get a one and a half round line, which is going to be tough. I hate one and a half round lines unless I'm positive it's going to go over. But um, definitely the does not go the distance when those props start to drop. If you're a premium member, turn on your alerts. Because anytime we hit a bet, it will immediately get sent to your phone. Jacob on Friday was doing these takedown bets as Bet Online was dropping them. He got a line at minus 115. It closed at minus 220. Turn on the alerts. And you'll get them right to your phone the very second we place. But you don't like the bet, no problem. You put your phone back down. You like the bet. You can tail it, you can jump on it, and you can hop in there before the line takes off and all of a sudden it's not a nice bet anymore. Whatever does not go the distance here opens at, I promise you it is going to continue to move. Then we have Jamal Ebers taking on Jack Jenkins. Jamal Ebers is a very good striker, but he actually is a wrestler in discipline. He only has a 50% takedown accuracy, but accuracy. I'm a, I'm a mess today. And that's what happens when you get these fight nights that go till 2 o'clock in the morning. It's ridiculous. This card, however, just a reminder, this starts at like 9 a.m. Something stupid like that. So nice early midday Saturday card in Jacksonville. But anyway, Jamal Emers has a 50% takedown accuracy, but his defense sits at a solid 100%. He's only two and three in the UFC, but his loss to Giga was very close. His loss to Pat Sabatini was a flash submission after he dropped Pat early. He's coming off the underdog win over Kusain Ashkabov, where he defended six takedowns and even had one of his own. He's taking on Jack Jenkins. Jack Jenkins is a solid striker with very real power, solid takedown defense. He pressures forward. He backs you up against the cage where he's going to look for control. Overall, he's a powerful guy with multiple ways to win. He has two fights in the UFC with eight takedowns total. He's coming off that win over Don Shanis, where his combinations actually look fantastic, and he had Jose Aldo-style leg kicks. This is a tough fight to call because both guys are very good strikers with real power. Jamal is likely the better actual wrestler, but he uses it defensively. Jack Jenkins is a very real prospect, a fantastic underdog here. I'm going to do slight lean towards Jamal because of that 100% takedown defense, though. Jack can definitely outstrike Jamal if he sticks to a striking game plan, but we've seen him have some low IQ moments where he just starts grappling when he shouldn't be I see this going to a decision. That best bet is likely going to be plus three and a half on Jack when that drops. If you don't know what plus three and a half is, you basically buy a round on the judge's scorecard. So Jack Jenkins could lose this fight, but as long as he loses 29-28 and not 30-27, he just has to win one round on the judge's scorecard and we go ahead and get paid. So when that drops, I will probably do Jack Jenkins at plus three and a half, and you can call it the spread or buying points. Your book may call it something different, but we use bet online, and that's what they call it, plus three and a half points. Then we got Randy Rudeboy Brown taking on Wellington Terman. Randy Brown's a very good striker. He uses his range incredibly well. He is dumb tall for this weight class, and he takes advantage of that. 
He's got really long jabs, nice kicks, and he keeps you at bay with those. And then when he's ready, he's going to use his speed to initiate solid boxing exchanges. He has seven takedowns in the UFC, and while he doesn't go to them often, he has a nice trip and solid jujitsu on the mat. He's very good and a lot of fun to watch, but he's coming off that loss to Jack Della Maddalena where he was dropped and submitted in the first round. He's taking on Wellington Terman, and this guy's a solid grappler. He's slick on the ground, and he's always looking to sweep or submit. His striking is not very powerful, but he does have some solid entries, and he uses his footwork well. He's coming up the loss to Andre Petrovsky, but if you look a little closer, he actually looked fantastic. His striking was the best we've ever seen from him, and he was destroying Andre's body. The only issue was he just didn't have an answer for Andre's wrestling. Even though Wellington's striking looked great in his last fight, I don't think it's going to be enough to get done in this fight. Randy is very long. He has power. He has takedown defense. And he has BJJ. This should be a pretty straightforward win for Rude Boy. But obviously, Wellington training with Glover Teixeira, Alex Pajeda. That has been going great for him. Randy is one of my more confident picks here. I'm hoping he just stays on the outside and jabs and doesn't play some weird ground game. But Randy Brown should be able to touch up Wellington Tournament and get this done. Then we got a couple of heavyweights, polar opposites physically. We have a, the towering 6'6 former football player, Austin Lane, and just the, the squatty Justin Taffa. But Justin Taffa is a heavyweight striker. He's got big power, a fantastic chin. When he gets his kicks going, he's got solid kicks as well. He has zero takedowns in the UFC, but he's also never been taken down in the UFC. If you swing and bang with him, you're absolutely going to have trouble. But if you take your time, you throw out some pot shots, you dance around, you could really have some success. And he's coming off that knockout win over my buddy Parker Porter at UFC 284. He's taking on Austin Lane. This guy's a former NFL player. He started his MMA career about eight years ago. He's a large, powerful, athletic guy who has competed at the highest level in sports. He's fast for his size, and he likes to jump in with a flurry of strikes and then jump back out. He can grapple as well, and he uses his size and athleticism to get you to the ground. In most cases, he seems to prefer to grapple than strike. He's faster, stronger, and more athletic than 90% of the people in this division. And this is a heavyweight fight, so either one of these guys can swing and win. Seeing Taff at a minus 185 favorite seems crazy because they're basically sloppy heavyweights here. But the reality is that he's got an incredible chin, incredible power, and he's almost impossible to take down. So Taffa should be able to keep this standing and just land that big power. So he's going to be the pick here. But this could easily look like Taffa's loss to Jared Vandera with Austin Lane just dancing around the outside and jabbing his way to a decision. Then we have Neil Magny. This is one of the better fights. Neil Magny taking on Philip Rowe. Neil Magny is an incredibly well-rounded guy. He's very tough, very experienced. He's skilled absolutely everywhere, but he's a busy come-forward striker for the most part. He does have very solid grappling as well as an average of more than two takedowns per fight. He's coming off the quick loss, though, to Gilbert Burns where he was just taken down and submitted inside that first round. He's taking on Philip Rowe. Philip Rowe is a long and high volume striker who does a great job using that length, using that range. His ground game is fantastic, but his wrestling needs a lot of work. And despite managing range well, he can be a bit hittable and he does have a negative striking differential. He's coming off that win over Nico Price where he almost doubled his strikes and he ended up getting that TKO in the third. This is a tough fight to call for me because Neil's definitely the overall more well-rounded fighter. But if he can't get takedowns, he's going to be lit up on his feet 
Rowe is the faster, more accurate striker, and he's got very real power. Magny doesn't have any power, and he has been losing striking exchanges to the last few strikers that he fought. So this is going to come down entirely to Rowe's takedown defense, which unfortunately is not great. But neither are Magny's takedowns. So I'm actually going to pick Rowe here as the underdog because he's far more dangerous. We've seen him weather early wrestling storms before. But probably no bet here because Magny just has a knack for squeaking out these super close decision wins. We'll see when the props drop, if there's something I can make happen there. But for now, Philip Rowe is going to be the pick, but no bet just yet. Then we have Tabitha Ricci taking on Jillian Robertson, a battle of a couple of grappling strawweights. Tabitha Ricci is a very good grappler who is the epitome of position over submission. She's very heavy on top with good pressure and control. She will ground and pound while on top. That'll create the scrambles and that'll open up some submissions for her. She made her UFC debut against Manon Farrow. That was on short notice, and that was rough. That was at 125 pounds. Her natural weight class is 115. But she's been at 115 her last couple of fights, and she's had dominant wins. She's coming off that Instagram story shout-out for Jacob earlier this month. And if you didn't know, she was shouting out Jacob in her Instagram story because Jacob was DMing her. She thought it was funny. Really clowning that poor bastard. Anyway. She's taking on Jillian Robertson. She's also a grappler. And in fact, she has the most finishes in women's flyweight history. She averages more than two takedowns per fight with 23 takedowns in the UFC. This is very important because her striking is not really good enough to hang in most fights. She's coming off the impressive win over Pajero Rodriguez, though, where she had decent takedowns, solid control before the eventual submission. Her path is always going to be grappling. Jillian is absolutely no slouch on the ground. And if she can get the takedowns and if she can be on top, she is dangerous as hell. I just don't see that happening here. I think Tabitha is too strong. I think she comes forward with too much pressure for Jillian to take down. When they get to the ground, I think Tabitha is going to be the better grappler as well. I, I just like Tabitha Ricci to get it done. I have half a unit on her at minus 121, and that line yo-yoed like crazy. I think she ballooned up to like minus 160 at one point. It went down to almost a pick em, and now it's settling so far somewhere like the minus 130 range. I, I just think Tabitha Ricci, yes, they're the same age, but she just seems younger, fresher, more hungry, coming forward, grinding these out, and just the next evolution of that wrestle boxer type style so Tabitha Ricci is the pick and got that little baby bet on her then we got Matos Rebecki taking on Loik Radzhabov this probably is going to be fight of the night Matos Rebecki is a relentless grappler who marches forward with giant one-two punches before he starts diving at legs and even though he is a grappler he's going to hang around for a striking match every single punch he throws is with intent and when he gets you to the ground he is looking for a finish he can be a bit reckless right and that leaves him open on the feet and it gives his opponent space to work on the ground he's got solid cardio considering his pace but he can be a bit sloppy. He's coming off that win over Nick Fiore where he threw with intent, stayed in the pocket, and worked hard even though he started to gas. He's taking on Loik Radzabov, who's also a nonstop guy. He sets a wrestling pace. He's got impressive throws, powerful hands. His striking can be sloppy, but he has no issues coming forward and absolutely bombing away. While he has solid takedowns, he can also be taken down himself, but he does have very good cardio, and he pushes a pace for a full 15 minutes. He's coming off that win over Esteban Rebovics. 
where he hit him hard early and wrestled often. And this fight is like that Spider-Man meme where they're just pointing at each other because both of these guys bomb away. Both guys set a crazy pace. Both got pace. I've developed a lisp. Both guys set a crazy pace and they can both wrestle. I do think these odds are perfect with Rebecca as just the slight favorite here. I think his wrestling is a little better. So is his striking. And that's going to give him the edge. So this fight is going to be fight of the night. I have no idea what to do with bets here. So I'm probably just going to relax and watch this one because this is absolutely going to be a banger. Then we have Tatsuro Taira, everybody's favorite parlay piece on this card. And he's taking on Clayton Rodriguez. Tatsuro Taira remains undefeated and he's still the number one ranked flyweight in Japan. He's only 23 years old, but he has 13 fights with 11 finishes. Style-wise, he's a very patient guy. He's got legit power in his hands, strong grappling. He does not have the best takedowns in the division, but he will stick with them and drag you to the ground. He's coming off that first round submission win over Jesus Aguilar, and he's taking on Clayton Rodriguez. This guy is a genuine prospect, and he's got a lot of potential. He has very versatile striking style where he mixes in kicks really well. He has power in his hands, but they can be a little bit telegraphed. His takedown defense sits at 66%, and while his takedown offense is only 25%, the actual takedowns themselves are solid. He's got nice trips from the clinch, and he almost has a Greco-Roman type style. When he's on top, he does a great job of establishing positions and then striking. He's coming up that first round knockout win over Shannon Ross. And listen, Tyra should be the easy pick here, and he is, but I am not parlaying him. I probably should, right? He's proven time and time again he can get this done, but... The reality is Clayson is very good and he could be dangerous everywhere. He lost that close decision to CJ Vergara, which honestly I think was sort of a bad call. He's powerful, he's fast, he's dangerous. The pick's definitely Tyra. And that's really just because I don't trust Clayson's takedown defense. But again, no bet for me here, at least not yet, because this will by far be the toughest opponent that Tyra has ever faced. And I think I need to see what happens here when he gets into a little bit of trouble. I think he'll be in a little trouble. I think Clayson's going to give him a little bit of a hard time and we'll see what happens. I know I know everybody's going to parlay him and honestly, those parlays are probably going to hit. But if you've been watching this show for a while, I'm the more conservative one on the channel. I'm just, I try to find sure things. Nothing is a sure thing in this sport. Nothing. But 23-year-old, hasn't really been in trouble yet. I'll probably sit back See what happens. Easy parlay is going to be him and Ilya, him and Rude Boy. But I'm going to stay away from those and uh, let you guys take those reins and see those tickets when we're all said and done. Guys, I know a couple of you took a beating. I saw a whole bunch of tickets of Armin Sarukian under one and a half. I told you guys, don't bet anything Armin. The money's not worth it. But anyway, I know a couple of people took a beating last night. Myself, I'm not excluded from that. I lost about 80 bucks. So let me send you 50. Let's work that wallet back up. Just go to weonpicks.com slash bets. Sign up with any one of our betting partners using our link. We're going to get paid for the affiliate. And then I'm going to send you some money. It's just literally that simple. You have to use the link. You sign up. You make it a deposit. And I'll send you 50 bucks. And that's just how this works. The reality is nobody's doing this. We're taking care of you. We care very, very much about this community. Trying to put some money in your pockets. You guys have been phenomenal to us. So let's do this together. Let's all make some money and we'll share some of that with you. We on picks.com slash bets. Use the link, sign up, make a deposit. I'll send you 50 smackaroos. And then we have Cody Brundage 
stepping up on short notice to taking on Cedric Dumas. Punahil out. Cody Brundage in. And Cody Brundage is a heavy-handed wrestler. He can be a bit of a feast or famine guy. Guy's getting finishes in his losses, getting some finishes in the wins. But he has no problem coming forward, throwing heavy, and then just working in his wrestling. He does have a pretty high-level wrestling background that he brings into this cage. He averages almost three takedowns per fight, but even dominant wrestling performances can't always keep him safe. He's coming up that loss to Rodolfo Vieira, where he dropped Rodolfo a few times, but he gassed and then was submitted. He's taking on Cedric Dumas, or SD Dumas. And this dude's a street fighter, right? He worked his way... Into the UFC, very similar to how George Masvidal found his path and worked his way into the UFC. But don't let this street fighting background fool you. He's a really well-rounded guy. He's got solid takedown, solid kickboxing. He uses, he uses his techniques well. He's very powerful. And while breaking down tape, you're going to see him slam opponent, just picking him up and dumping them. He's got nice kickboxing. He uses leg kicks really well. And that takes away your balance. He's coming off that lopsided loss, though, to Josh Freem, where he had absolutely nothing to offer for takedown defense around the ground. Honestly, this is an easy Cody spot for me. I mean, the short notice does worry me, but I don't think he has much to worry about. He's got insane power in his hands. He's got wrestling. We just watched Josh Freem, who is not as good of a wrestler as Brundage, just dismantle Dumas, and I expect the same from Cody. Cody's going to come forward, throw big, shoot takedowns. His cardio is a genuine concern here. It, it's not good with a full camp, let alone short notice. But I threw a half a unit on him at minus 115. He's had some solid linemen as well. He opened at a plus 130 underdog, and I believe he's a minus 130 favorite right now. So everybody's seeing what I'm seeing. Cedric Dumas, maybe it was just UFC jitters, bad outing in his first fight, and he's going to come in here and look like the prospect that everybody thinks he is. But those kind of wrestling holes don't get fixed overnight, and that's what Cody Brundage does. So let's hope Cody Brundage comes in, bites in his mouthpiece, throws the biggest overhand he possibly can, and then just wrestle, 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 wrestle. So I can go ahead and get paid. Then we have David Onama. This fight has the most line movement on the card. Gabriel Santos, I may be misquoting the exact number, plus 230 underdog, minus 230 favor, or 260, something like that. Like The line movement on this fight was wild. But David Onama is now a hefty underdog, which is a little bit surprising because he's a dangerous guy. He's a kickboxer. He likes to plot forward. He likes to control the pace as well. Typically, he's not super high-volume guy, but he is effective. He's got a long jab that he's just constantly throwing out there. He does tend to throw just one or two punches at a time, but when he's in the clinch, he's crazy busy with knees and elbows. If you can back him up, use volume, you can get him out of rhythm, and that's exactly what Nate Landwehr did in his last fight. David was a 3-1 to one favorite, but he was just outdogged and outworked by Nate. He's taking on Gabriel Santos. See, this dude is aggressive. He's going to charge forward, throwing those one-twos. And then when you've backed all the way up to the cage, he's going to work in takedown so he can ground and pound and submit you. He's not a technical striker, but he does throw fast and with power. He can also be hittable. But his striking is really there just to overwhelm you so he can work in those takedowns. He has Muay Thai experience in his background. But it isn't really at a super high level. He's fast, he's strong, he has slick submissions, and he's bouncing back after a close loss in his UFC debut. The pick here is going to be Gabriel. He's an absolute dog. He can back Onama up, grind him down the same way that Nate did. But David's a great underdog, and he's plus 195, plus 200-something odds. That's phenomenal money on somebody like David Onama. David hits hard. 
Santos gets hit. There's not going to be a bet here, but I mean, if we're lucky enough to get a one and a half round line, I'm going to hit the over. I'm going to, I'm going to blast the over because David Onama is a tough dude. He's not somebody you just get out of there like nothing happened. So is Gabriel Santos. I'm hoping, please, sportsbooks, give us a one and a half line here. But man, David Onama is a phenomenal underdog here. And I know you people are obsessed with underdogs. So maybe take a little dabble in the David Onama pool. Then we have one of the hardest guys for me to break down. We got Brendan Allen taking on Bruno Silva. And Brendan Allen's a hard guy to break down because he's historically been a bit inconsistent. Recently, he's been very consistent. But historically, he's been inconsistent. The guy's a well-rounded contender. He's a BJJ black belt. He's got nice kicks, nice takedowns, solid striking. He's got this evolution in his game, which is phenomenal for him, where he started as a grappler. Then he just full-on 180. I'm only a striker. And now finally he's starting to put them both together. He's doing both things in his fights. He's riding a four-fight win streak with that most recent win being a very, very, very impressive submission win over the ridiculously dangerous Andre Muniz. He's taking on Bruno Silva, and I love Bruno Silva. This guy's a fantastic striker with solid BJJ. He can absolutely knock your head off at any moment or even implement a grappling game plan if you wanted to. He managed to take down Alex Pajeda twice in a decision loss, and that was just a couple of fights ago. And although he's got great hands and he hits like a freight train, he can also be hittable himself. He has a negative striking differential. He is coming off that big first-round knockout over the very durable Brad Tavares. This is another fight that can have two very different outcomes. We could see Allen get KO'd early, like he did the last time he fought a striker, right? Chris Curtis put that dude out. Or we could see Bruno Silva just get wet-blanketed and out-grappled. I really want to pick Bruno here because even in fights where he gets out-wrestled, like against Andrew Sanchez, he's never truly out of that fight. I've made a ton of money off Bruno Silva in the past. Right, That Andrew Sanchez fight, he was taken down seven times. He was controlled for eight minutes, and he still got the knockout in the third round. But unfortunately for me, Brendan Allen isn't Andrew Sanchez, and he probably wins this fight. As long as Brendan avoids that big power, this could be a showcase fight for him. The only bet I would really consider here right now is Bruno Silva inside the distance decision, no action. Your sports, one of the number one questions I get every week is, where do I get the inside the distance decision no action bet? I don't see it. Your sportsbook probably calls it finish only. And all that basically is saying is if Bruno Silva knocks out Brendan Allen, you get paid. If he loses a decision or even wins a decision, you get a full refund. The bet never happened. The only way you lose that bet is if Bruno Silva gets finished, which is obviously a possibility, but pretty terrible duff guy. We'll see what happens when those odds drop. It's at plus money. I'll probably go ahead and hit that. Then we have the co- Main event of the evening. This is a very good fight with some actual implications to the division. We have Amanda Hibas taking on Macy Barber. Amanda Hibas is a very complete fighter. She started as a grappler. She's added striking, and now she's comfortable everywhere. Her striking stats are fantastic. A 4-2 to striking differential, a 69% striking defense. And to top that off, her takedown defense is at a solid 88%. She has plenty of cardio, and outside of that Marina Rodriguez loss, she's insanely tough and very durable. She's coming off the dominant win over Vivian Arujo, where even though she wasn't credited for a knockdown, if you watch that fight, she dropped Arujo and doubled her strikes. She's taking on Macy Barber. Macy Barber is a solid striker. She's got nice boxing, improved wrestling. She's not a grappler, 
but she does have well-timed takedowns when she needs them. She was able to take down Montana De La Rosa, who's a beast of a wrestler. Jessica I, who's got all the experience in the world. Miranda Maverick, who was uh, very exposed a couple weeks ago, but still a solid fighter, solid grappler. And Andrea Lee in those fights. Her takedown defense, however, is a very low 47%. And she has been taken down nine times in the UFC, including five times in her last fight. She is four and one in her last five, but two of those decisions, two of the four wins were bullshit, in my opinion. She lost to Andrea Lee. She lost to Miranda Maverick. Amanda Hebas is sitting at a comfortable minus 185, and that honestly makes a ton of sense. She's got the better wrestling. She's got the better jujitsu. She's fought the higher level of competition. Macy is busy. Judges just seem to love her for whatever reason, so we could see something weird. Florida does have a lot of MMA, so it's not like some middle-of-nowhere state that got their first UFC and doesn't know what they're doing. But anytime you leave Vegas, you don't know what's going to happen with these scorecards. I do think Amanda should be able to come forward, stay busy, use the takedowns, and win an easy decision. So we'll see what happens there. But this is definitely going to be an over two-and-a-half round play for sure. Then we have the main event of the evening. And this should be an incredible fight. We have Josh Emmett taking on Ilya Taporia. Josh Emmett is a wrestler. He has a legit power in his hands. He has 11 knockdowns in 12 fights in the UFC. And that includes losses. And you'll see he averages more than one takedown per fight. But that is a bit deceiving because eight of his 11 takedowns in the UFC came from one single fight. So the reality is that Josh Emmett is a wrestler who doesn't use his wrestling very often because he has such incredible power and speed in his hands. He is coming off that interim title loss to Yair Rodriguez, where he actually did try to wrestle. He went back to those roots, but he just couldn't hang with Yair striking. He's taking on Ilya Taporia. This guy is a savage beast. I love this guy. You're going to look at his record. You're going to see three knockouts in five UFC fights. You're going to say, wow, he's a striker. But the reality is he's a phenomenal wrestler who averages almost three takedowns per fight. And what makes him so impressive is he doesn't really have a set game plan. When he goes into fights... You don't necessarily know, are we going to get a striker? Are we going to get a wrestler? And I don't think he knows either. He's just so phenomenal everywhere that he's just going to start the fight and go whatever direction it takes him. And he does a phenomenal job. I keep using phenomenal. A phenomenal job making adjustments on the fly. He's going to go in there. He's going to let his hands go. If that's not going his way, well, screw it. Let me wrestle. If it is going his way, let me stick to that game plan. He's coming off the destruction over Bryce Mitchell, where he was taken down for the first time in the UFC, but he defended eight other bullshit attempts and then just destroyed Bryce Mitchell. Ilya should absolutely work Josh Emmett here. He, in all likelihood, is going to be the better wrestler. He's going to be faster. He's going to hit just as hard, and he's going to have every advantage you could want. The one and only thing that has prevented me from going all in on Ilya is the fact that Emmett does have insane power and we have seen Ilya rocked before in the UFC. Ilya is a three to one favorite. Those odds honestly seem correct here. Outside of a lucky punch, Emmett isn't going to have much to offer, but lucky punches do exist. And as I said, we have seen Ilya Taporia rocked in the past. Guys, Sign up to become a premium member. It's only $10 a month. It's not just, oh, let me copy your bets real quick. It's all the information, tools, and insight you could ever want. You're going to get a DraftKings optimizer. You're going to get the line movement tracker. This keeps track of every single fighter's opening odds, current odds, the win probability, and then the line movement itself. So you can see what direction these fights are going. You can see 
who's becoming a favorite when they started as a dog and you can find your spots. You're going to get 38 columns of detailed data and metrics. But then we've taken this ridiculously huge spreadsheet and we've chopped it up into digestible portions. You can go to the website, look at the analytics. You can sort the chart, work your way through, find information, find your own spots, do some of your own research. We give you everything you have ever needed, including the safety parlay. The safety parlay had a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight run streak. We missed last week. We are back on track this week. Since we've been tracking it, it is up 20.76 units. That's less than a year. 20.76 units. This year alone, it's up 8.28 units. Just this bet. If the only thing you ever did was each week, let's say throw a hundred bucks at the safety parlay, you would have $828 of net profit. You'd get your bet money back and then you'd have $828 of brand new money betting one single thing every week. You can become a premium member at wewantpicks.com. Just click become a member. It's $10 a month, $10 a month. And it's not just me and Jacob. We also have Artem. Artem's breaking down PFL, Bellator, LFA. He's giving you his picks, his bets for every single promotion, including the UFC. And I believe he absolutely crushed PFL 5. We have PFL 6 this week. Check out Artem's page. Dig into his analysis. And guys, I'll send you 50 bucks. Five, zero dollars. We own picks.com slash bets. Sign up, make a deposit. I'll send you 50 bucks.